Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Welcome to another great hour of power as we prepare to minister the Word of God tonight on this wonderful Wednesday night, United. Uh, I believe the Lord is going to speak some wonderful things to your life, to your heart, and to your spirit as we continue to look at uh, some things that the Lord's been talking to us about concerning the head and his body. And uh, we want to go over to Matthew chapter 16. This has been our foundation scripture, and we'll continue to look at this um, concerning uh, the head and his body. And in Matthew 16, verse 16, Jesus makes the statement. He makes the statement, Simon answers Jesus and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, in response to the question that Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so I've made the statement throughout this uh, series that the Lord asked me one day when I was reading this, he said, Why? Will the gates of hell not prevail against the church? Well, you know, you can have an idea or have a, 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 a thought. You know, you may think that you know why, and uh, you may have some revelation, but if the Lord asks you a question, he's trying to get you more revelation and understanding. And so he asked me, why will the gates of hell not prevail against the church? And when I began to look at that, and I looked at the word prevail, the, the, the main overriding uh, meaning of that word is to overpower or to be strong to another's detriment, to overpower or to be strong to another's detriment. So we see from what Jesus said, the gates of hell will never overpower or be strong to the detriment of the church. Now, uh, in a lot of circles, in a lot of places, uh, that is completely contrary to what is being taught. And you hear a lot of statements. I've heard it. You hear a lot of statements like, the church is backslidden. The church is lukewarm. The church is powerless. Uh, the, 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 the church is weak. The church, and any other number of adjectives that you want to use. But all of those adjectives, all of those statements uh, fly directly in the face of what Jesus said. He said that the gates of hell would never overpower or be strong to the detriment of the church. So why is that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, we'll go back over to chapter 1 and, and, and begin here. This has kind of been home base for these teachings, and, and they will continue to be. Um, 
Because, you know, when, when Peter made the statement, when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, I mean, that was the statement, you're the, you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah, you're the one that's been promised, we recognize this, we believe this. But they didn't have any concept of the church. They didn't have any concept of the body of Christ. All right, that, that concept, that revelation was not made plain until the Apostle Paul began to minister on it. And it was something that was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are things that you remember when Peter was writing concerning the Apostle Paul in Second Peter, he said, there are things that our brother Paul has taught, he said, and they're hard to understand. You know, he said, he said uh, that there, there are things that are, that are deep. And one of the deepest things that Paul taught was the fact that the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the church. So when Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the anointed one, he was saying, you're the one that was to come. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. But it wasn't revealed to them that he was the head of the body or the head of the church. The apostle Paul revealed that. And its foundation, the basis of it, is found in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians deals more with the church, and I mean the church universally, the body of Christ, than almost any of other, other of Paul's books. It, it's just a discourse on who the church is, who Christ is to the church, and who the church is to Christ. All right? In no other book are we referred to as the body of Christ, and Christ being the head more than in the book of Ephesians. All right? It's so important. And Ephesians 1 and verse 21 he says, speaking of where Christ has been seated, that he's been seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and that he has put all things under his feet, under Christ's feet, and gave him Christ to be the head over all things to the church. Notice, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The Amplified Bible says he is appointing him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church. Again, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now catch this. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and fills everything everywhere with himself. So the first reason, we've talked about this over and over again, the first reason hell will never prevail against the church is Christ is the head of the body and the church is his body. Christ is the head of the church and the church is his body. So the same power in the head is in the body. That same resurrection power and, and if you didn't, if, if, if you missed last Sunday's, uh, Sunday morning uh, when I was teaching on the head and his body, we dealt directly with the resurrection power that dwells in the church, all right? Uh, the Bible says that, uh, uh, for instance, it, it, it says that in verse 20 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, the, the, it, that his mighty power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And then verse 1 says, And you has he quickened 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were, we were raised together. Verse 6 of chapter 2 says we were raised up together. So the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead raised you from the dead. And that same power dwells on the inside of you. Hallelujah. In the body, the church, notice this, lives the full measure of Christ. Now, the reason this is so important is how can any entity that is filled with the full measure of Christ be weak or be powerless or be backslidden? Amen. Do do you see that? Now, I realize there are churches, there there are uh, assemblies that believe wrong. Amen. And they're apostate or they're worldly or they're, they're lukewarm or whatever the case may be. We see that that's possible from uh, 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 Revelation chapter 2 and 3 when John was dealing with the seven churches of Asia Minor. Some of them were more uh, spiritual than others, but that made none of them not the body of Christ. That individual group was not doing what they should have done. That did not affect the whole of the body of Christ. Because in the church lives the fullness of him, the full measure of him that makes everything complete and fills everything everywhere with himself. So in the church, the body of Christ resides the full measure of Christ. The Phillips translation says, in that body lives fully the one who who fills the whole universe. The New English Bible says, the fullness of him who himself receives the entire fullness of God. Oh, hallelujah. So any issue with the church does not stem from a lack of power. Any issue in the church does not stem from a lack of power. The issue is yielding to that power. That's the issue. See, how I think about myself and how I think about believers in general will determine the level to which I yield to that power. What do I think about this? How do I think about the power that resides on the inside of me as the church, as a believer in the body of Christ? How do I think about that? Because that's going to determine the level to which that power functions in my life. Amen. See, the reality of it is, is that the power has been given to us as the body of Christ. Now it's up to me how I use it. It's up to me how I function, how I flow in it. Uh, All of the, the things that we have by virtue of being in Christ, I have been made righteous. It's up to me how much I yield to that righteousness. I've been made a new creature in Christ. It's up to me how much I yield to that new creaturehood that I have in Christ. I have been made holy. It's up to me how much I yield to it. Because it will exert the amount of power over me to the level that I yield to it. Glory to God. That's Listen, that's why you see some people that it seems like they have no problem with sin. I personally believe that every believer should have no problem with sin. But here's here's the issue that I'm making. 
the reason why some people look like they have no, no problem with sin and live that way is they yield themselves to the power of righteousness, which overcomes the power of sin. If I'm righteous, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do anything to hinder my right standing with God. How much do I yield to it? Hallelujah. Now, let's look at Ephesians 6. And we'll go a little deeper into this. Ephesians 6, verse 10, we'll read down through verse 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now think about this for a moment. I can only be strong in the power of His might if I have access to the power of His might. Right? And we just saw in the Scripture that we have been filled with that power. The body. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I say this a lot, but it bears repeating. I wrote in my Bible, defeated principalities, defeated powers, defeated rulers of darkness, and defeated spiritual wickedness. All right? Because he's telling us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But here's the problem. Are these principalities, powers, rulers, darkness, this world, spiritual wickedness in high places? Hallelujah. But notice, he says, if you put on the whole armor of God, you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word stand, it means to keep your place or to stand immovable. I like this part of it, to stand ready and prepared. All right? To keep your place, to stand immovable, or to stand ready and prepared. What, what, what's the idea that we get from these uh, uh Words. What, what's the idea that we get from these meanings? The idea that we get is this. The enemy's trying to move us, and we're standing immovable, ready, and prepared. That's the idea that we should get there. All right? This is important. Because when we talk about taking back ground and taking back things... Uh, you know, the, the, the important thing for us to remember is that Jesus thoroughly defeated the devil. He brought him to nothing. He, he brought him to zero, as Reinhard Bonnke used to say. And then he gave us the job of keeping him there. Glory to God. So the idea is the enemy's trying to move us, but we're not being moved. We won't be moved. Because we're ready and prepared. He said you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And, and the word wiles is an interesting word because uh, the, the Greek word is, it's actually a compound word, meth, uh, or meta, M-E-T-A, and odos. And when you put them together, you get methodos. But 
it's, a, it's, it's, it's where we get our word for method. All right, where we get our word for method. And uh, when you put the words together, it literally means with a road or traveling over. With a road or traveling over. Well, somebody will say, what's that have to do with a method? What this means is that the devil is a traveler. All right? And, and he, he travels over one road, one direction. He has one destination. All right? I've, I've told you for years, the devil's a one-trick pony. All right? I'm, I'm not being flippant. I'm saying this is what he does. What he does works on a lot of people. So that's why he keeps doing it. He has one method. He has one destination. He's not going to waste time trying a, lot of, uh, trying a lot of other routes. He has one route, and he just stays with it. The devil just stays with it. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we, we see part of this. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, uh, basically what he's saying is, uh, if, if you forgive, I forgave, and here's why we are forgiving, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Now, this word devices is translated three ways in the King James Version of the Bible. It's translated mind, it's translated device, and it's translated thought. All right, the basic meaning of this word is thought. All right, so it's translated mind, device, and thought, and its basic meaning here is thought. So Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is doing something. He's telling us that we're not ignorant of how the devil thinks. We're not ignorant of what his thoughts are. All right? He thinks one way. One writer states that this, is not, this not only depicts the scheming mind of the devil, but the subtle way he attacks other people's minds. And so what this does is it identifies the primary destination of the devil. To what? To get into a person's mind and fill it with lies and confusion. That's his primary destination. That's his primary mode of operation. Oh, hallelujah. Do you see this? Now, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3 and 4, it says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest or unless the light of the glorious... Now, now this is going to be important because notice, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, notice this. Here's where many believers will say, see there, the devil does have power. He's the God of this world. The Bible says that, and it's true, all right? And Brother Hagin would always say little g. But here's, here's the point. Notice how Paul defines the world. He defines the world, first of all, as people who do not believe. 
Notice, he's blinded the minds of them that believe not. Hallelujah. So who is Satan exerting his power over? Those that do not believe. Who has he blinded the minds of? Those who do not believe. Who is he the God of? Those who do not believe. All right? And then he defines them as those to whom the gospel is hidden. Well, for the believer, the gospel is not hidden. We've believed the gospel. Amen. And we've been born again. And so... He's not our God. He is the God of this world. Now, you know, we hear that and we, well, well, yeah, I know he's not my God. God's my father and, and so on and so forth. Well, but what you have to do and recognize is there's a reason that he emphasizes he's the God of this world, right? The word, the word world there, the God of this world it's age or this present time. Well, that would update itself to whatever uh, era of believer is reading that verse. So if you take believers a hundred years ago, he was the God of their age. He was the God of that age, that age, that group of people that were alive on the earth that did not believe at that time. He was their God. He was the one blinding their minds. But he was not the God of the believer a hundred years ago. He's not the God of the believer today. Amen. The, the power that he possesses must either be allowed to operate through ignorance or through willful yielding. And I'm going to say this more than once in this message. So people that do not believe, what are they doing? They're yielding to him through ignorance. And it might be willful ignorance, but they're, nonetheless, they're yielding through ignorance. There are believers that yield to his power through ignorance, and he can exert power in their life because they're ignorant of what belongs to them in Christ, or they're ignorant of what the Word of God says concerning their victory. But nonetheless, that's the only way he can exercise his authority. That's the only way he can exercise his power over them. Because see, where there's light, it's not easy for things to be hidden. You can hide things easily in the dark, but you can't hide things in the light. Because the light will show them up. And so Paul defines the world as people who do not believe or those that are the gospel is hidden to. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, this is important because, again, this is a scripture that very often is used to make the devil out to be something that basically he's not. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now notice, first of all, you see prince of the power of the air. 
And I've heard well-meaning people preach well-thought-out messages, at least they thought they were, on how the devil's the prince of the power of the air, and the devil's the prince of the power of the air, and he's ruling and he's doing this and he's doing that. But the Bible says he's the prince of the powers in the air. Remember what the Bible says concerning Jesus? That he seated Jesus at his own right hand far above all principality. Power. Right? Far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, every name that's named. Is that right? So yes, he's the prince of that power. But Christ has been seated above that power. And we as the body have been seated with him. We've been given joint seating with him above that power. Glory be to God. And that's even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. He, we talked about uh, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. All those things. All right? We have been seated with Christ above them. So the power exists, and the prince over the power exists, but they exert no authority in our life unless it's yielded to. Glory. Now, we're going we're gonna to go back to talking about the mind in a minute. I had to, we've got to take this detour to show you something. The believer, though, notice, in these verses we just read, is referred to as separated from the world. Look at the verses again, and I'll point out these, these phrases. Notice, wherein in time past, in your past. Well, what, what, what is he referring to as your past? Before you knew Christ, before you were born again, what did you do? You walked or you conducted your life according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air that now works in the children of disobedience. So notice, in time past, you walked. In time past, you walked. Not you are walking. In time past, that's how you walk. And then it says in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle. We all had, not we all have. We all had. Now the reason I'm trying to, uh, the reason I'm breaking this down is he's referring to the prince of the power of the air who used to have power over you. Used to. Not anymore. Oh, glory to God. Why? Why? Because you're not yielding to that power anymore. Not yielding to it. I won't yield to it. If I won't yield, he can't make me. Glory, I'm not doing it. And see, if you won't be moved, you can't be moved. If you won't be moved, the devil can't move you. He can throw things your way. But, but listen, it's, it's, got to be, it's got to come to nothing because all the works of the enemy have been destroyed. And once you figure that out, your days of defeat are done. Done. Glory be to God. 
Hallelujah. So we all had our conversation in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Here's another phrase. And were by nature, were by nature the children of wrath. Were, not anymore. Not anymore. Why? Because the Bible says in the next verse, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead, we're not anymore. Why? Ephesians 2, 1 says he quickened us who were dead. Woo, glory. Brought us to life. Amen. Hallelujah. And quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Raised us up together. Made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now watch. Wherefore, remember that being in time past Gentiles. Mm. Do, do you see that? In time past. Glory to God. Verse 12. That at that time. What time? Time past. You were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenant of promise. Having no hope. And without God in the world. Oh glory to God. But watch. But now. Look he, he brings it all the way up to the present. This is what you were. This is what you did. This is where you were at. But now. Oh, glory. But now in Christ, you that were far off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Glory to God. So again, we see in time past and at that time. But then we see but now. But now. Hallelujah. See, we live in the now, not in the time past. That's why the enemy fights so hard to get you in the past. Because there's no power in your past. The power is in your right now. Who I am right now in Christ. Oh, glory be to God. Amen. Not in the at that time. We live in the but now of who we are in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, you know I've, I've talked to people like that before, and they would say things, well, you know, this is, this is what, what my life was. And I'd say, yeah, but now. But now. See, you always put the but now in there. This is who I was, but, but not now. I, I'm in Christ. Amen. See, every time you yield to what you were, you yield to the power of the devil. Every time you yield to what you are, you yield to the power of Christ. It's so important because this is who I am in Christ. Who am I in Christ? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm made holy in Christ. I'm sanctified in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a son of God in Christ. Glory! I can do all things through Christ. Do, do you see that? I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. So I got to stay in Christ. Got to keep my thought process in Christ. Glory. See, 
because of who I was without Christ, I was connected to this world through the fall of Adam. But now in Christ, I'm disconnected from the fall. And I'm disconnected from this world because of who I am in Christ. That's so important. In, uh, glory to God, John chapter 17, Jesus says something that'll help us. Because uh, he says in John 17, verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world's hated them. Watch. Because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Hmm. Verse 16, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Now think about that. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. He was talking about people that had believed on him. These are, this is the group of men that had believed on him as the Messiah, as the anointed one. And he said, through their belief, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Think about that. Jesus had no connection to this world in the sense of connected to it spiritually. He was disconnected from the curse of Adam because God was his father. Glory to God. Now, here's where people make a mistake. They say, but yeah, you know, but, but I was born into this earth. Uh, yes, you were. And you were born connected to the curse. You were born connected to the fall of Adam. But something happened when you were born again. You were born again. And when you were born again, God became your father. And when God became your father, you were disconnected from the curse and you were disconnected from the world and you're no longer of the world you're of the father glory to god glory to god glory to god hallelujah you believe the word of god and the same thing happened to you that happened to mary in in the bible when you believe the word of god peter says the word is the seed that caused you to be born again when you believe the word of God the Holy Spirit which is the womb of the Spirit he took that seed and brought it into your life and a brand new creature was born glory to God brand new never existed before oh glory to God I'm not of this world not of this world and that's not what makes me up. What makes me up is not world, the, the, the world, the, 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 the enemy, the devil, lords over the world. He can't lord over the new creature. The new creature is his master. The new creature holds sway over him. The new creature has the power of the Godhead living on the inside of him. And the new creature cannot lose to the devil if he won't yield to the devil. Cannot if he will not. Glory to God. 
Amen. Do you see that? And, and I'll, be very, I'll be very quick to say this. Of course, we're not flippant, but here's the thing. You don't have to be careful about what you say concerning this. This is truth. I'm not flippant. I don't talk flippantly about the enemy, but I'm telling you, if I will not yield, he cannot defeat me. Amen. So Jesus made it plain that believers are in the world, but they're not of the world. Now let me say this again, that I I said I would say earlier again. The devil can only rule over us if we, number one, unknowingly, or number two, through ignorance of the word, or I should say number one, if we unknowingly, through ignorance of the word, or number two, willingly give him permission to rule over us. He just can't do it. As long as we walk in the light of the word, now this is important, rulers of darkness cannot rule. He said in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Rulers of the darkness can't rule in my life if I'm walking in the light. Can't happen. Hallelujah. And, and notice what Jesus said about walking in the light. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Glory. He said, that Jesus spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, what's the devil depending on? Blinding the minds. Walking, people walking in darkness. Jesus said, if you follow him, you won't walk in darkness. Why? Because you have the light of life. Glory to God. In uh, John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus said to them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come on you. For he that walketh in darkness does not know where he goes. Verse 36, While we have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. Verse 46 says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Glory to God. I've believed on him. I'm not in darkness. If there's no darkness, the enemy can't rule over me. Period. And the Bible says the church is the light of the world. The church is the light of the world. So in the church, there is no darkness. There's only light. So if there's no darkness and only light in the church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Cannot. Glory. Now, let's, let's wrap this up with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Because we went through all that. We talked earlier about the, the enemy, how he tries to get into your uh, life through thought processes. And uh, 
this is a scripture that is familiar, but I want you to see something as we take a moment and break it down. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, that's an important word, into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, when he says bring every thought into captivity, it carries the idea of a soldier holding a person captive at the point of a spear. So he's standing with his spear, holding this person captive. All right? The person cannot do anything about it. He's been taken captive. Now, when he says bringing into captivity, the idea there is that's not just something you have to do once. You have to do it consistently. So that means as long as you're on the earth as a believer, you'll have to be bringing thoughts into captivity. Why? Because that's the way the enemy works. But here's what I want you to notice. It's something we'll always have to do, but at the same time, it's something the devil can't change. We can always cast his thoughts down. We can always take them captive. Why? We've been given that power. We've been given that ability. Isn't that wonderful that there's not a thought the enemy puts in your mind that you have to keep? You don't have to keep it. You can cast it down and bring it captive. Hallelujah. I can always cast down his thoughts. So think about that. So the enemy can't even make you think his thoughts. How can he cause anything else, he says, to, that he can cause to happen in your life if he can't even make you think his thoughts? Glory to God. If I don't have to think his thoughts, he has no authority over me at all. So the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Why? Because we're disconnected from the world. We're disconnected from the world. The Bible says, now are we the sons of God. It says, you are of God, little children. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, and you have overcome them. For greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, he that committed sin is of the devil. And then it says this, for this purpose, for this reason, for this, for this uh, occurrence, Jesus came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil. He might destroy him. The works have been destroyed. The devil's armor has been taken from him. He's been stripped. He's been left without weapons. And the church has been given all authority in the earth. Glory to God. If you can't be moved, you won't be moved. If you won't yield, you'll never lose. Ever. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you tell your neighbor sitting there beside you, I won't yield, so I cannot be defeated. Oh, hallelujah. 
The Lord is so good to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.